0: On today's 10x Managers podcast, we're joined by Rasmus Wendelberg. Rasmus spent five years at Gartner as a sales professional and then manager, and has now moved on to the head of sales at DigiSuite, a Danish tech scaler. There's one word that comes to mind when I think about today's interview, and it's empathy. Many people talk about empathy as a manager, but Rasmus truly embodies it. Everything that he does comes from an employee centric first mindset, right from hiring through to even firing. In today's interview, Rasmus talks us through his process of motivating his employees through owning their professional development, how to bring underperforming employees through to high performance, and then how you can deal with having to fire an employee as a manager. This interview is brought to you by 10x managers, Peer Learning Community for Managers and Leaders. If you're not already a member of the community make sure you go to 10xmanagers.com and sign up it's free you'll get access to all our old interviews including the video format our learning summaries and all the resources that help make it as practical and actionable as possible i really hope you enjoy today's interview but most importantly you take action What do you see as the role of a manager, Rasmus?
1: The role of a manager, if I had to boil it down, I would say that the role of the manager is to is to make sure that everyone that you are responsible of is being successful in their role, but also reaching their goals outside work. And the reason why I think that is so important, that it's not just in the role, is because I, be- I believe that a leader needs to have a huge amount of empathy on the person that you're working with and not just seeing what are the results that you get in the actual job, but I want to work with people that are happy. I want to have, I want to work with people that come into work and have had a great weekend with their family. People that have said, Oh, I've never been, I've never run a half marathon before I did a half marathon. And maybe I was the one helping them doing that because we, Hold each other accountable for not only professional things but but personal things so I believe a, a manager is somebody who helps people in their team to reach their professional and personal goals that's great mate and I think from all of these interviews that I've
0: done uh, I think that's an actually fantastic way to start this off uh, and it's a very simple thought that many people, I think, would overlook in terms of just making stuff happy. And, and, and obviously, that's going to create results in the workplace as well. So I think that's really interesting. Um, okay, so thank you for that, Raz. Let's dive into a little bit more about what you do well. And I'm sure the happiness theme will run through this and how you make people happy. But let's talk about some of Rasmus's superpowers. What do
1: you believe you're great at when it comes to... I think I got, a, I got an advice from one of our old VPs, the beer said that Gardner wants, I think is one of the, one of the first thing I remember that I, I keep thinking about is always try to understand before being understood. And I think one thing I do well is always try to just brief before I try to communicate something is, and the reason why I think that is so important is, again, I want to go back to empathy. It's you need to realize that as a manager, you're dealing with people. And I really try to look at the person before I look at the results. And the reason why I do that is, if I had, a, if, if my son or my mom or my girlfriend or my, whatever, my sister or something like that, would be somebody I really care about, were in, a, were in a job, and they didn't have a manager that were looking at the person and how they were doing in their job and as a person, I would be really sad. I would want them to be like that. What I look at first is, is the people, because I'm responsible for the, the all the people in my team. They have kids, they have families. I'm responsible that their dad or their mom is happy at their workplace. You no, know, they, they, they shouldn't be having a, a parent coming home from work being sad or being exhausted or stressed or couldn't deal with all the the personal things that happens outside work. So it's my job to make sure that they excel in what they do, because we all wanna, we work in sales, we wanna be great, we wanna achieve big things, but you don't achieve big things in life if you don't think about what happens outside work.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: I think my superpower is always to put the person first and not the job first
0: okay that's really interesting so how do you actually do that what's the process to enable that i don't
1: think that's something that just is, is a process in general i remember our old uh, mvp at the garden of Maite said that uh, when you interview for a manager role you don't interview for it when the interview process starts you interview on your first day in the first in the first job you get at Gartner. so it's again it going back to who are you as a person? Are you ready to take on a job where you're res- you're technically responsible for five or 10 or how many people, direct reports you have, family getting food on the table and having a good time at home, right? You have that responsibility. So it's I think the process is constantly thinking is, am I making this person a better person? Am I contributing to making this person's life better and keep evaluating that?
0: yeah i I think what one obviously there's lots of different types of people in the world as well and when we get a super motivated super ambitious person that knows exactly where they're going exactly what they're doing it's quite easy for us to align to that have you ever come up against any situations where maybe someone doesn't know where they want to go or doesn't have those clear goals uh, and what can you do
1: to help them in that situation yeah if, if most people don't know and and I think the best thing you can do as a leader, and I ask myself this constantly, is what do I want to do, do? I think the, the best advice I have been getting and, and something I keep asking people that I work with as well is, instead of thinking, what is your five-year plan? Because that's the most cliche question you will get. The question to ask is, Josh, what kind of life do you envision yourself having when you're 45 or 50? What, what, if you close your eyes, what does your life look like? Are you driving your kids to school every day or are you at work at 7.30 every day? Are you picking your kids up from school at five or maybe just two days a week? Are you even still working or have you retired with enough funds or a passive income that you don't have so that you can play golf uh, two days a week? Are you imagining playing golf on Tuesday at 10 o'clock without nobody telling you when to be at an office? So instead of just thinking, what is my five-year plan is what is the bigger what is the bigger picture here where do you see yourself in 45 and then we go back and then we make a plan okay how do i actually get here and most of the time people will be talking about oh i'm, I'm looking to do some investment either that's in i don't know stocks crypto uh, a property or whatever okay how do, how do you get to that point how do you decide what that is i need to learn more about these things okay so You know something you need to do outside work is probably you need to start studying these things a bit more but also you probably need to save up a bit of money to Mm -hmm. do that okay so how much money do you need to save up and then you go into that discussion but it it starts with the the feeling that you want to get and why Mm -hmm. do you want to have that feeling and then you start building up to okay how do i get there but not just a five-year plan um because sometimes that even though it can be difficult to envision okay what i want to do in five years it's very short-sighted as well Mm. Mm. it's not thinking about the life and you start thinking a lot about oh i want to buy this house or i want to be in this position but why do you want Mm. to do that what is that going to give you on a broader perspective
0: no it's it's, it absolutely makes sense so thank you for sharing that if we keep unpacking that a little bit more as well so we get employees. We start understanding exactly where they want to go long term. We start help crafting the plan towards getting there. How does that and that help you day to day in terms of management? So, does it help you motivate them? Does it? What sort? How else can you use that? Yeah, I
1: believe it helps with the motivation. One thing that is is always the big question, especially when you come when it comes to sales. I don't think you will meet a lot of sales managers that. That don't believe that it takes uh, will to win or, or or drive or resilience or something like that in order to to do great. But those are also usually things that you cannot coach. Yeah. It's either something that you've learned from your parents or from your past or from uh, friends or people that you've surrounding yourself with that gives you that will to do something that most other people are not willing to do. So the way to to use that uh, knowledge about what people want to achieve in life, you can bring that back to conversation to to bring up conversation about motivation. Because mm-hmm. sometimes, uh, every, I think everyone has been in that position, sometimes you just feel low on energy. You're like, why am I doing this to myself? Why is this the job that I decided to be in? I would have a way easier life if I did something else. And then sometimes you need to have these conversation about why people do this. And it comes... Not only back to what people want to do in life, but maybe you're in this job because you decided to take a job that challenged you, where you become better every day, where you can keep improving on certain conversions or on how you're performing. So I use that knowledge about what people want to achieve in life to to go back when, especially when people are lacking motivation, saying, hey, how is it going with following the dream you had? How, are, are you feeling you're getting closer to it this year? What yeah. do you need to, in the next six months from here, what do you think you You need to do different to get even closer Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and then you ask direct questions. It's also a way to, again, show some empathy that when you're having, have these conversations as a manager, where it comes into talking numbers and meetings and KPIs and stuff like that, you, you use this as well to go and say, Hey, you you said you were going to read 12 books this year. How is it going? Mm -hmm. Have you made it so far? And you start talking about a different goal than just numbers related to business, but something that will probably help this person perform on those numbers later on, mm. you know? So I, I guess that's it, the it, way till you do it. It, sh- it shows that you care as well, doesn't it? It,
0: show- it shows your employees that you actually care about them as people and not just as people that are going to deliver you numbers and results. Uh, it yeah. uh, makes a lot of sense. Just take you back a sec, then. You mentioned will to win uh, as an underlying trait that... that- people need to have to be successful. Tell us a little bit more about that.
1: What is will to win? What, why is it so important? Yeah, will to win can come from many places. I thought that will to win came because you had, either because you had a, a massive dream. A lot of my, my, my best friends, they are professional athletes. So they've been dreaming and have a desire, deep desire since they were kids to win in their sport. And I thought, okay, maybe that's the way what will-to-win is. Then I, then I started working at, at sales and I thought, oh, to win is when you've had a, a difficult childhood. That gives you like an edge of will-to-win. But then I met so many people who didn't have a difficult childhood that had a massive will-to-win. But they, were, they had a will-to-win from different places. They had a will-to-win because they wanted to show their families that they could make it on their own, for example. That they didn't need the support of the family. It was a different type of will-to-win. But Will to Win, I believe, is again, it's coming back to, um, to a bit of the resilience as well, is that on the toughest days, that you're still able to wake up and you push yourself beyond what you thought was able when you just opened your eyes. It's like, okay, I know this is not what I want to do, but I'm going to do it because I have this thing inside of me that tells me that this is the right thing to do. I'm not going to give up here. I'll just, mm. I'll keep going and no matter how tough it gets, that's what I believe is the will to win. And it takes character to have that. It's mm. not a, it's not, it's difficult to say, oh, you need to, you need, this needs to have happened to you in life before you can have will to win. I don't think that's, I don't think that's true. It's something with the character. Mm. And, and, and what helps you with character is the people that you are surrounded by. So it could be your parents that, that have given you to will to win, could be your friends. It could be a teacher could be an early football coach. It could be somebody you've been competing with that, that told you something in a competition where you feel, hey, I want to be like that as well. So it can be different people's influencing you, but it's around the character that you are. And you become a character based on the people that you are spending time with or an, an, an event maybe that has happened in your life. How do you then use to to win Is it something you're looking for when hiring? Or is it something you think you can coach into people? I don't think you can coach it. That's okay. the thing. I, th- I think you can reinforce when people have m- lost a bit of motivation, but I don't think you can coach will to win. It's either something that is in your character or it's not. So it's definitely something that I'm looking for when hiring. Okay,
0: that, that's really interesting. Okay. Could you give us a story maybe? And again, you can keep people private and all those sorts of things, but maybe give us a story where you've seen will to win in a person help them achieve great things.
1: Yeah, sure. I think I had a few. I have a lot of ones, but I wanna I wanna see which one to to point out as well. I've been working. I'll I'll make one that's a bit of general that I've seen multiple times, Mm -hmm. and it's usually somebody who's had a, a fairly good childhood with a lot of love, but they've probably had parents that pushed them a bit harder as well. So there's been a lot of love in the relationship with their parents, but they've had parents where When they started early in sport, for example, they have been pushing them a bit harder, saying, how could you become even better? You know, What could you have done different today? When they come home from school and they have got new grades, they will be asking, that's great. How could you have gotten an A instead of a B? So keep keep challenging them a little bit on the belief that, okay, what can I do to become even better? And give them a bit of feeling that there's always something you can do to become even more. And that's mm. something I've seen a lot. And that's not just from, it's not because people have had bad parents. I don't see it that way because there's been a lot of love. They have been loved kids. They always tell me they've had a good childhood, mm. but still they're extremely competitive because they, from a very young age, have been pushed a little bit more They because they wanted to prove themselves. They wanted to come home, maybe to their parents and say, look what it's. That's why in, in most sales organizations, you will have this at Gardner they had the winner circle or some other companies have president club. A lot of those people that I work with, as soon as they made president club or winner circle, the first people they call the, is their parents. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's, I made it, look, I made it. And that's the feeling that they, they want to have. I think that's a great example of, of, of how you don't need to have had a bad childhood to get an NHL will to win. You also have other ones who who had a very difficult childhood that wants to prove themselves, Mm. right? They maybe want to break out of what it was like growing up for them because they want to give their family a different life. That's also a completely different desire in will to win as well. But um, I I think you can find will to win multiple places. I think one thing we haven't um,
0: discussed yet around Rasmus' superpowers and what you're great at, but I think one thing that's clear that must be true based on everything you're saying here is... Everything you spoke about so far in terms of understand before being understood, have empathy, understand and help them discover what they want to do, long term ambitions, understand their will to win and their background and who they are as a character. All that requires them to really trust you as a manager and to have employees that are going to open up to you and really share these sorts of things with you and really let you in. You must build a great rapport and a great trust with your employees. Is that
1: something you do naturally or is it something that you actively make? That's a good question. I think most of the time it comes, I try to make it come naturally that I want to be a trustworthy person. Mm. I want to keep my word. When I tell I'm going to do something, I'm, I'm going to do it. But it also, it also means that I, I want to put my neck out there for you sometimes, especially mm. when you work in a large sales organization or large organization. Uh, and you have a lot of different people having a lot of interest in different deals. And sometimes right. you're feeling like somebody in a different country or region is trying to screw you over. It's important to prove that you will not back down for this. You will not back down, right? So you will keep fighting for this person internally. Either that maybe you end up winning that internal you know, argument or whatever it is, but you've done what you should and you're not afraid to raise your voice to protect the person that is in your team. So that I think that's one way to, to show it as well. But also because I'm thinking about people first, the person. If I have a person in my team that I can feel, no matter if it's a, an, a, a person that I've just become a manager for, somebody who's been working for me for a long time. But if I can feel there is a is a person that is not feeling well, I have this feeling that you know, maybe something is wrong. I'll call that person and I'll ask mm-hmm. them, and it will not be a business-related question. It will be, I saw you on the meeting today. You know, it seems like there's, uh, there might be something wrong. I just want to check, is everything okay? If you need time, then let me know. You don't have to tell me what it is, but if you need time, just let me know and, mm. and I'll give it to you. And I think that's the way to, to earn trust as well is when you lead with empathy and mm. thinking about this person. I really care. I became a manager because I care about people. That's mm-hmm. why it's not because of technology and technology says, yeah, I think technology is extremely interesting, but I'm in sales because I, and I'm in sales management because I care about people. If, if some other industry becomes extremely attractive in uh, 10 years time, I might, that might be the way to go, right? Because I'm in sales and sales management because of people. And then I just ended up in technology because it's a great place to be and because mm-hmm. I've I really enjoyed it. And I will come back to that in one sec, but I've just thought of
0: a question that I think people will find really interesting. And it relates to you caring about people as well. And also before you came into technology sales, you spent some time at refugee camps and were working there as well. Did you learn anything in terms of leadership in that environment that you brought
1: into the sales world, the tech world? The thing is, I think what I learned there is it gave me a lot of resilience myself. I've seen hell on earth. I worked mm. there for half a year. Things that can still give you nightmare. But what what I, what I learned there as well is to see the people first and thinking again of, uh, about the person. You never know what story people have. So mm. be curious about it. Try to, to understand who they are as a, as a person. Get to know them. You can never judge a person by just the first impression sometimes. Right? You really need to, to, to dig into who they are. I met a family in, uh, who came from Syria, a dad with three daughters and a son and his mom. Mm. And they had to leave Syria because of, of ISIS at that point, And they flee to Greece. So I met, we, we took care of them in the refugee camp. And he showed me a picture. We were, I sat down with them around the fire one evening and he showed me a picture of their house, beautiful house. He was, he was his own employee. He had a little business. And uh, he showed me a picture of the house, beautiful house. And then he showed me a picture afterwards, bombed away. And he told me this story about how he used to be a wealthy man with his family. He never had to, he never had to worry about how to get food. And uh, he was a well-educated man. And suddenly now he's standing in a refugee camp with his family. He's waiting four hours to get food for them. Mm. You, know, you, you never know what people have been through and you never know what what happened in their lives be curious about them and be curious to get to know people and mm. uh, don't just judge them on the first impression no i think, I think that's that's probably something i i learned is uh you, you never know who people what it's been like for them so i think uh, so i think it's so interesting and
0: i i, I can see how you almost carried that lesson over with you into the tech sales world again it's completely different stories, completely different contexts and just different ends of the, the, the spectrum. But I can see how that experience is carried over into, into
1: the way that you operate every day now, which I think
0: is really and, super interesting.
1: And and I think one one other thing I saw is that in, in the refugee camp, there is a lot of different NGOs. There is a lot of people there to help, right? Mm-hmm. And what you see is well really different characters that are trying to help. You find the ones that when things are getting very frustrating, they start to raise their voice, they start yelling. And this is people with a lot of authority because they are Mm. not refugees. They are here to help. They're wearing a badge with the UN on it so Mm. they can go and leave as they want. If they want to go, they can fly back to their family in Europe. So this is people with authority. And when people with authority start to get frustrated and yell and raise their voice and stuff like that, people without authority getting like, what is going, they're getting scared of what's going on here, what can happen, and they start to get frustrated. So keep calm as well in in very pressured situation. It's so important because if you lose your shit in a situation like that with a family who's standing there with three kids that are wet, they don't have any clothes, they haven't had food for days and you start losing your shit, how do you think it's going to feel on, on kids, right? So you need to keep calm in, in these situations and you need to be the, maybe even though you're not their direct leader, you need to show some kind of leadership, mm. which is to, to keep calm. Um, be optimistic realistic and communicate in a very very transparent and and direct way as well so it's not being misunderstood what is to be done here so that's also i think another thing let's go into that a little bit more as well in terms of communication so obviously
0: high pressure environments occur all the time especially in sales people do start panicking and flapping and all, all, all those sorts of emotions you mentioned some important words there transparency openness Talk to me about how you focus your communications and
1: those sorts of. So communication is still an area where I'm trying to improve a lot, um, and I'll, it's a place that I'll, I believe, I'll always get better, at, especially written communication. My all information I have is happening in in English at the moment, but I'm not in native English, so I'm still learning how do I do this in the best way. But what what I do with what I believe with communication is it should be easy to understand. You know, it don't make it into something very fluffy. Try to keep mm-hmm. it concise and precise as well. But try to keep it optimistic as well. As a leader, I think as well, it's, it's your job then when, especially when things are difficult, it is to not just tell what is bad, but also how do we get better? Take some ownership as well as saying, this is what we have done wrong. This is how This is what we're going to do to fix it. Mm-hmm. So not just communicate with a negative voice, But also with an optimistic and opportunities voice in terms of what can we do and how can we make it happen? Uh Uh That's definitely something I'm trying to do.
0: Okay, that's really interesting. So it's obviously when you're communicating, it's being positive, it's being constructive. And when you do need to deliver bad news, you deliver bad news with solutions and how you're going to fix it and get out of it. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I think that's fair to say. If you cannot just come and you cannot just come and have a tough conversation with someone, uh, mm-hmm. maybe somebody is not performing. It happens. It happens mm-hmm. all the time. I think it's—I uh, don't remember the exact number, but a huge percentage of salespeople not hitting the targets, right? So mm-hmm. it—you—you'll need this conversation over and over again. But you need to start. You need to figure out, or you need to get ready and prepared for questions on how ask asking your the person in your team how are we gonna make this better Mm. and not just this is not working but how are Mm. we gonna make it better definitely looking at what what is the positive outcome we're looking for and and again how do how do we get them talk to me a bit more
0: about those difficult conversations as well it's it's something that comes up all the time in these interviews and when we speak to people that, that are particularly new managers they're the sorts of conversations that they dread to have, they don't want to have, they delay them. And then when they come, they're, they're nervous
1: about them. Tell me a bit about your experience there, Asmus. How- well, what I think is the, it's important when there is some concerns or bad behavior sometimes as well, is to take action immediately. Mm-hmm. Make sure to also document it a little bit. If you're going into a difficult conversation, you need to get your facts right. You know, you cannot come in and say, oh, I think you have been doing this wrong or something like that, or this has not been okay. You need to get ready with specific examples of when this went wrong. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise you're going to end up having a very fluffy conversation. And sometimes salespeople are the worst, right? They're they're worst. If you ask a golfer what went wrong and why they didn't win, it, it was everybody else's fault first. And then they look at themselves. Salespeople are the same. So you need to get ready for that conversation. So prepare for a tough conversation is so important and don't be reactive don't if something happens don't just jump into a, a, a meeting straight away without preparing what you're going to certain times there might be there might be exceptions i would say i've had times where i would ha- where i had to do that where i've been in a team meeting and somebody has been disrespectful to me and to all the people in the team in a team meeting and i'll pull that person aside straight away and i have said. This is not happening. This is just not okay. But if you're having a real tough conversation, especially around sales performance, get ready with your facts before you have that meeting and not just jump into a meeting saying, oh, we need to have a meeting about performance. And then you like, okay, so what do you mean? You need to be ready to have that, dis- that discussion. And I think one thing that I, I was forced to do by one of, my, one of my first VPs when I became a manager was to, I role-played a difficult meeting with my VP beforehand. Mm-hmm. You no, know, why not? We are, we are asking our reps to role play and prepare for a meeting. Why then? But most leaders are not even doing that themselves. So he forced me saying, okay, let's role play. And I thought that was a great way to do it. No, uh, I think- Yeah, prepare. It, it, it makes complete sense, doesn't it?
0: Prepare properly, have your data, have your facts so that you can't be disputed in there practice actually
1: executing it what sort of questions are going to come up that you, you can prepare for um, and, and, and and again it, it, one thing is so important as well is to it, it's again it goes back to the person and empathy right you're sitting there you're speaking to another person sometimes you're going to have really tough conversation where it's about should this person stay in the company or not and you need to remember that you're having these conversations because you want the best for this person
2: mm-hmm.
1: Uh-huh. Right? whether that is with the company or not with the company. One of the best examples is uh, we've had a person as well that worked for me that we decided to, we had this conversation and we agreed with, with the person that probably this was not the right job for them. Uh-huh. And at the time, the person was extremely disappointed. Uh-huh. You know, they were sad. And then 12 months later, this person coming back saying, you know, this is probably the best thing that happened to me.
2: Uh-huh.
1: I got a new job that I'm extremely happy for. And uh, I'm really enjoying it, you know. So it was the best person for this. It was the best decision for this person to move on, Mm. right? And that's Mm. looking at the person first. This is not the place for you to be. There's no shame in that, right? Maybe there's another place that is better. Did you share with them throughout that meeting that
0: whatever happens here is for the best and you're still trying to get the best for them here, even though it feels
1: like a difficult situation at the time? Yeah, definitely. I've been I've been a reference for one as well. I've been a reference for uh, people that have been putting on tough performance plans that probably at the time hated me mm. and were really angry with me, who came on on the other side and did well. But I've also had people calling me after moving roles saying, "Oh, do you mind being my reference?" So they trust me. That's coming back to the trust as well. So I'm quite open with that. If people need to try and do something else.
0: And not only does it come back to the trust, but it also comes back to the um, you don't always know everything what's going in someone's life just because this wasn't the right job for them doesn't make them a bad person or they're going to be bad no. at the next job. It, it, it's yeah. just it wasn't the right job and you're helping them find the next one. that, that, that yeah. could be. No, mate, yeah. I like that. I like that thought and the way to frame it. And I think as soon as you take that that mindset into those sorts of conversations, they become a lot less daunting because it's not you mm. versus them. It's mm. you're working together to get the best solution for, for, for both. So, no, I yeah. think that's
1: a really good thing, And sales sometimes, right? So can be it's it's uh, it's some it's a lot of time. It's a numbers game as well. Right. Obviously, there's a lot of behavior, right? We've had people who reached their goals on on, on quota, but were characters that were, missed, were were putting in bad behavior and ruining the culture. Right. we've had we've put people on, we've put people like that on a performance plans on a cultural thing not because of performance but because culture-wise they were poisoned. but it's true right when you go into this conversation they need to understand that you're doing this because they, they work in sales they know when things are probably not going right. so you have these conversations and look, what we're doing this because we need to make you better mm-hmm. and people often don't understand that a performance plan like that is actually there to help them reach their goal in a more structured way it's not a, it's not a plan to get rid of them and mm-hmm. people rarely understand unless they have been on a performance plan and they've been through that and they're like, wait a second, this actually worked. I'm back mm. on track. You no, know, this was yeah. great. I've, I've had a guy saying, don't take me off plan. Keep me on a performance plan. So bre- 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 break that down for us a little bit more as well. You, you
0: mentioned it a few times, performance plan, performance management, talk us through your process, your steps that you take to, throughout performance management to help bring people back to level.
1: Yeah. I think in general, right, it's when people, are on a, when people are going on a performance plan, we're not asking them to do anything else than we were asking them to do when they signed up for the role. Mm-hmm. We're just going back to a bit more of the basics. We're going back to the saying, okay, we put a plan in place for you and for me as a manager to help you, to help you get back on track because as we're not there at the moment. Mm-hmm. So what can we do? What do you need from me? Is it more accountability? Do you need me to join? Do you need me to help you on uh, certain types of calls to, to get you back on track? Uh-huh. Um, do you need me to do more prep time with you before every meeting? What uh-huh. do you need from me as well? It's, a performance plan is quite mutual. It's uh-huh. not just what do I need you to do? It's also what do you need from me? So often I'll very not often not come with just saying this is the plan. I'll yeah. say this is what a plan can look like. You know, what do you think? And then in the plan, there might be a, a revenue target to hit within the next uh, three or six or whatever months that you decide to do on. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, I've, I've had people come to me and say, oh, I think it's unfair. I need to reach this target within three months. And I say, okay, what is fair then? Mm-hmm. You know, what do you think is fair? I think it's fair if I do it within five months. I'll say, okay. And if you do it within five months, you'll still be. But if you think five is the right number and that's what makes you comfortable about this, you know, okay, let's make it five. Uh, and we end up realizing then they probably hit it way early as well. And then, okay, wait a second, maybe I should be back on track earlier than five months. Yeah. But I'm saying, okay, this is not just a, I put you on plan. This is, let's make a plan together plan. It's essentially a, a negotiation
0: between the two of you on, on an agreed set of actions and deadlines and things that they need to achieve to get them back to the position where they should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Great. And how detailed are you going in these plans? How many metrics are you setting? How many things are you monitor, monitoring? Can you share some
1: detail there? I think a lot of people do it different. And I'm probably still not the best person to do it. I would love to see how other managers are potentially doing that. So Maybe that's something you guys can help me with. So what does it look like from other people's perspective? But it's breaking it down. What potentially, what does it take on a daily basis to get there? Mm. And then put it into what do you need on a weekly basis? And then what do you need on a monthly basis? And it can be anything from how many new business meetings do I need to be booking myself on a weekly basis? How many needs to convert? How many Mm -hmm. proof of concepts do I need to have? And also it can be something, especially on the manager accountability, is how many role plays should we be doing on a weekly basis? So we keep the coaching part of it and not just the the other part. How many role plays should we be doing? How How many meetings do the manager needs to be part of on a weekly basis those things as well so try to break it down in in terms of what does it take to reach whatever revenue target that we have by the end of the end of the plan
0: nice so
1: essentially performance management is you're giving it a
0: name that enables both you and the employee to have more focus on hitting the specific tax tasks that need to happen and then they get more support they get more accountability and hopefully together that they can achieve what they need to what happens if they don't Rasmus what happens if they
1: don't continue not to hit those metrics it should never be a surprise what happens right if you make a plan you rarely make a plan for, for four weeks you usually make a plan for a quarter or maybe a bit more of a quarter mm-hmm. so it shouldn't be a surprise that if you come to that end is saying we have not been able, we have not been successful with this. And Mm -hmm. the manager can prove on their side that they have done what they told that they would do. The manager accountability is also important. You cannot come to an end of a plan and the the person that is on the plan has done everything they should do. And then the manager didn't turn off for any of the prep meetings. Have you done what you should as a manager then? Probably not. But it shouldn't be a surprise in the end of it saying, okay, we have followed the plan and we both agreed with the right plan to try and get you on track. And it's still not. We need to talk about what needs to happen here. Are you still sure this is the right place for you to be? Mm -hmm. just to manage your is the right place for for this person to be but it shouldn't be a surprise Mm -hmm. you need to have you need to have meetings in between that to discuss okay so what's happened are we following the right plan do we need to change it so you keep that constant conversation over that period of time it shouldn't Mm -hmm. be okay time's over plan's over that's it no sorry didn't work out it shouldn't become as a surprise to this person Mm -hmm. i've had a few times where the plan hasn't been working out And what usually happens is, and this is with the person who came back and asked for for a referral, right? Somebody who was was actually happy that this is what happens to them. But this uh, person realized himself before the plan was over, coming to me saying, look, I think I realized that this is not the place for me to be. Mm -hmm. We've done what we should do. I think we're doing more than most other people. It's just, this is just not for me. It's time for me to move on. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, you know, it's Okay. Not the, where do you want to go then and then then i was just curious about what's next or what do you want to try now
0: yeah and then how you can help them then as well kind of prepare for interviews and all
1: you know see yeah i'll prepare you for interview i'll be a referral if you need to i don't care i'm not here to I'm, I'm not here to part it's enemy i'm hopefully here to part of you saying it didn't work out for me but at least i had a manager who gave it all they had to try and mm. make me successful in this role mm. that's what i want to be and i think that links nicely
0: all the way back to the beginning of the interview where you shared that ultimately you're in this role because you care about the person not to hit the numbers or to necessarily hit that but it's because you care about the people and helping them achieve uh, mm-hmm. and you can help them move on and do the best thing okay that's great rasmus and i think we'll finish on one final question and it's quite a broad question it's a question that we ask everyone, but looking over your management leadership experience you've had, can you identify one time or one action or one thing that has happened to you or you, that you've done that's had the biggest impact on you as a leader?
1: The biggest impact? I'm just trying to flip around in my head now, which one. But I've, I've had, I, I I'll say one experience, right? And something that was really, gave me a great feeling. And what, when, it, when I realized that, you know, being a manager and, and a leader is, is something that really matters a lot to me. I had a person that, that I took over my first team and, and I took over a person who was now a good friend of mine as well. And he was not performing very well. And I, we decided to put him on a performance plan to get him up to speed. And when this first happened, he was not happy. Because he thought that a performance plan was, you know, let's get rid of this guy. Mm-hmm. Which it wasn't. So we made a performance plan. And by the end of uh, the first quarter, he was number one in my team.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that made a, a massive Im- a impression on me in terms of, again, I care about this person making it. I really like the guy. And we built a plan and he came out on top three months later. And that was just in the beginning of my job as a I, when I first became a manager. So this was all in the first three months of leadership. Mm-hmm. And that really gave me a feeling that I seeing him succeed in the end of the first quarter when he's been the lowest performing person on the team the year before, and then ending up reaching his first winner circle as well at Gartner the same year, that was a, a great feeling for me.
2: Yeah.
1: I think that's something that really made an impression is, wow, you can really have so much impact on, on people's life. And that's, that's both what's tough and exciting about being in management is that you can have a massive impact. And then this person's life, this person has a family. So then you have an impact on this person's family as well. You may be helping this guy getting his uh, Q1 bonus so he gets a new car or he gets to take his, his kids on a ski holiday, I don't know, whatever they want. But when you, when you when you help one person that is in your team, you're potentially ending up helping a whole family.
0: I want to say huge thank you for Rasmus for sharing his insights today particular around how he motivates his employees and treats them with genuine empathy. I really hope you all enjoyed today's conversation as much as I did, but most importantly, you'll take Rasmus' insights and go make change in your world. As mentioned at the start of this podcast, this is brought to you by 10xmanagers.com, which is an online community for managers and leaders looking to grow and make change. Come join the community at 10xmanagers.com to access all our old interviews, as well as join the community discussion where you can speak to your peers one-on-one and in group settings to help overcome your biggest challenges. For one final time, thank you today to Rasmus for his time and the insights he shared, and I hope you all go and take action.